welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 73, which begins with Dallas making his way through the air vent and ends with Ripley receiving the order to close all the hatches behind him. And once again, we're joined by Marlon West. Uh, how you doing, Marlon? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you all doing? We're great. We're so happy that you're here with us uh, for the whole week. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. All right. Well, this so this minute begins with we're still with Dallas. We're still in the vent. Everybody's everybody's a little worried. Every, people are people are tense. Camera's moving though. Camera's, camera's moving in the vent. It's tracking back with him. Yep. So obviously the vent's big enough to get a camera in there and 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 on on some kind of a of a dolly or something. And still got those those wonderful irises that we love so much. So creepy. It seems like it's totally lit by just that lamp and that flamethrower which is another thing that's great because it just it, it makes the darkness infinite and it limits the amount of light even though it's a flamethrower you know it's truly the darkness because on the other side of that flamethrower when he goes by it's complete abyss you know and the the, the, the other thing too you know this guy's you can start hearing it in this minute and certainly in 70 74 you know he's in this tiny little space with a flamethrower sucking all of his oxygen and you can really hear the heavy breathing here because it's 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 a dank little space down there. Not not only is it tense, but you know it's physically it's getting hard to breathe in his face. Well, I was going to bring up that flame as well, and I might be getting a little head of the minute. But since you brought it up, I think it's significant, and uh, and it's not the first time we're going to see that within these next couple of minutes. But the flame comes right into the screen like as Dallas oh, yeah. moves forward. Uh, we are subjected to that flame. And they don't shy away from holding on it for a little while either, and and cranking it up in the sound mix. We're right there, and it's it just makes you, like you said, you feel that oxygen getting sucked away. You feel that heat. I mean, can you imagine having that, being in that tight space, struggling to breathe, and having that much heat right next to your face? It's just another yeah. instance where they're doing a, a great job of giving us the sensory experience of the movie. Yeah, I mean, he holds that 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 torch and it's yeah that's almost at the end of the minute like right next to the lens of the camera and you know and he's holding it you know it's i'm a real sucker for you know what i call physical acting where it looks like an actor he or she is doing um exactly what the character is doing and i don't know you know i haven't spent a lot of time crawling around i haven't been like a you know catcher at a baseball game but like crawling around squatted like that like tom scarrett is doing for yards at a time, and I'm sure take after take, um, it, it, it's really impressive. And you know, um, and to be kind of like cramped in that space and in the dark, it's just, you know, he's being asked to do something as an actor that is you know, clearly not as brave and harrowing as crawling through an air duct looking for an alien. But everything that's physically going on here, like a, a guy holding a uh, a practical flame in his hand is not a CG flame. Uh, it's the uh, one of two light sources in the scene crawling by. It's a, uh, it's it's real. You know, he's not. He doesn't have to act that. You know, he's physically crawling and he's holding a torch and a flashlight. Yeah, it's like it's one of those things that sort of transcends the artifice. You know, when you're watching a film, there's a, the film's always asking you for a certain amount of uh, suspension of disbelief. But of course, there's always going to be that part of you that can't quite do that. Right. And if you can have an actor do something dangerous or do something uncomfortable or whatever it may be, 
you're already bought into the movie with that suspension of disbelief, but then you're also feeling for what you know as an actor, a guy that's really there doing it, and that's just all the more, it sort of doubles the pleasure, sort of doubles the intensity of it for the viewer. As soon as you go, well, I know that actor is not holding that flame because that's a CG flame, it just cuts a little bit into the experience of watching the movie. So I see what you mean by that. Or, you know, I think they, I mean, they could have opted to have him have a flamethrower that, you know, only has a pilot light on it or just has a hissing sound that you know it's a flamethrower, you know, with a flashlight. Right. That would have been creepy. But the fact that he's got, <laughs> both, he's crawling with both of his hands full is, yeah, it, 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 he's uh, paying the cost to be the boss here as a, as a, as a performer. I just have to mention, you know, since you say that about the pilot light, we're, we're to believe that Parker rigged these incinerators up about 20 minutes, right? That's what he said. Give me 20 minutes. I'll rig these up. And I, I got to ask, like, is this really, I mean, wouldn't that pilot light idea be the idea? And I'm going to say it right now. If Brett were still around, those, it would be a pilot light. I think <laughs> Brett, Marlon, you don't, probably don't know this, but I have this uh, theory that Brett's the brains behind the operation really there in the engineering department. He's sort of the savant. And uh, he would have, I think he would have rigged up a much better incinerator than this because it's kind of absurd that it's blowing flame at all times now that I think about it. Never really thought about that before. You make these choices of like, I mean, that makes sense, but it really fucking looks cool. Can we curse on these? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I can imagine the, 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 the discussion in 1978 was just like, there was, there's no way somebody would make an incinerator where the flames could shoot out the front. That's not, what, that's not how they worked, you know. But a hissing noise or a little blue flame back there by the, by the trigger would not ne- look nearly as cool as him climbing through this air duct with a, with a flashlight and an open flame. I'm sorry, that looks badass. Well, and and given Parker's attitude toward this alien, I could also see Parker deciding to design it exactly like that because it's going to make damn sure that that fire is going at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that was like a fire bayonet. You know, even if it's not being blasted, I can hit you with this open flame. Maybe that was the idea. I mean, it works like a torch, you know, not exactly uh, an old fashioned style torch where maybe if the, but you can just wave that fire in front of you if it worse comes to worse. And maybe, because at this point they, they're only guessing even right now, whether this flame thing is even going to have an effect, you know, they don't know. That's their last resort idea. Most animals don't like being burned. You know, I mean, that's, that's, they're operating on that assumption. Yep. Yeah. But you know, in watching this film, like like I said, so many times, and you know, and, and recently, in preparation for for visiting with you all, you know, they're so kind of slow to reveal Ripley as the the, the main character of the film, or and, and I would even I wouldn't even say she is. I would say she's like the the survivor of the film, um, and this is arguably somewhere in in, in this minute is where. She starts going into close up and is, and is more earnestly invested in Dallas's um, well being than other characters, and you should really start rooting for her. But I, I could see in the hands of a you know less skilled and subtle filmmaker um, that you would have like landed on Ripley, and you're just waiting for her to emerge and get her day in the sun, like really, really early on. And that that does not happen in this film, you know. They, this is an ensemble cast, and you've got the guy right now who, in most films up to, up to this date, would have been the hero, um, getting ready to get got, 
and it's and you really feel cut adrift when it, when it happens because you 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 were left with you know uh female characters and the brother who usually is killed early on in movies like this back in those days and and you're like i don't know what i i got nothing the cool white dude's dead you know it's just like it's this movie's really really i think inventive in the way it it, it presents itself and um and, and it really comes comes to a head in this in this sequence because Dallas has been cool as a cucumber throughout this whole film and actually throughout this minute um, b- b- before he really starts to worry. Yeah, he still he still seems to be pretty much running the show and and he even yeah he's giving commands right. He's giving orders and he's he's showing ba- I mean, that, to go along with this after that horrible conversation with mother anyway he's showing huge bravery but um yeah he is on the offensive throughout this minute you know he he does not relent he's full on he's bringing it like he brings that fire into camera you know apropos of what you're saying there and, and going back to ripley i think that we're seeing the slow transition into her being the protagonist now we got dallas in the in the vent she volunteered yeah. to be in the vent. She volunteered immediately to do it, and he cut her cut her off there, and went ahead and did it himself. And we can see, you know, she's Scorny Weaver here is really indicating more than she has in a lot of the uh, other parts of the movie. We're really seeing inside her head, and we're seeing the emotional state that she's in. She's very worried, and par- yeah. partially, I think, because of what we're talking about a couple of minutes ago, her reading into, uh, or what we can read into, what was possibly a relationship between the two of them. I think has a lot to do with that. Right. Perhaps even a little bit of, uh, you know, when it's time to take the mantle or if you feel, you know, you know, you're the second in command, I suppose there's a bit of anxiety uh, surrounding that, too. But one of the things I was going to point out here, we've talked about a few times this particular camera move uh, that really Scott uses in this case. Earlier in the movie, we've had a slow push in on the, the space jockey and we have had a yeah. slow push in on the on the face hugger that they mm-hmm. cut away from before really finishing the move. And here we get the same shot, but this time we land fully on Ripley for a beat. And I think it's probably wow. the first time you get that shot where we stop and we land on it. And I think it's significant that what were we saying about those things earlier by cutting away? Uh, we're taking that moment. We're, we're showing something, but we're cutting away from it. But here we're saying Ripley's important. And this is a big moment for her and her emotional investment. I think we're starting to see this transition into what she becomes as a character. I think this is the first real we've had literal moments where she's taken charge or literal moments where we felt like she's starting to to be the proactive one. But here I think is the the more emotional moment where it's sort of settling in and, and her anxiety and everything that she's invested in as a character comes to light for us. So do you think yeah. he's do you think he's throwing her a curve when he says close the hatches behind me I'm moving on? She seems to take it that way, I think. Uh, that was one of the questions I had too and Marlon you can we definitely want to hear what your interpretation of this is. But when he announces, you know, or orders Ripley to close all the hatches behind him, this seems to come as a surprise to her. She she registers surprise and and be a little bit and, of disappointment and, in the fact that he's ordering her this. Do you think that he kept this part of the plan from her the entire time, knowing how she would object? I, I, I get that in, that impression because she she not only seems very concerned but almost irritated with, with, with him. You know, her eyes roll up in her head. She's just like, "Oh man, really? 
you know, and, and again, it's like not knowing what the plan really was, but she does seem to be this very kind of upset by this news um, in, in a way that she, yeah, that, that registers as surprise to me. I mean, I think that this decision to do this, it sounds fairly necessary to the plan, um, keep the alien from doubling back, but it, yeah. it would definitely rings uh, of a point of no return moment. Um, and I think if you're already worried, you know, Dallas, of course, mother has given him no reason to think he's going to succeed. You got to assume a smart woman like Ripley probably understands the odds here too. And I think this yeah. might be that moment where um, he knew that if he told her this part of the plan, we would have that classic, you know, Picard Riker situation where Riker <laughs> is always insisting that he go instead of Picard, you know, because that's what the second in command should do. You keep the captain safe. And I think that this was him keeping that bit of information from her so that they wouldn't have to have this discussion. Once he's in there, no discussion. And it, it would be more dangerous perhaps for her not to follow through with the order. So she does it, but she's obviously annoyed by it. Yeah. And that, that argument you just sort of walked us through is is the scene we've seen a million times. And so once again, the movie is subverting the expectations, is trusting in the subtext of the character, trusting in the silent visual reaction to that information. And again, it just ups the stakes and, and, and makes it that much more intense. Yeah. You know, and I, again, this film does not come down overtly, whether these folks just have real kind of respect for each other or they or attracted to one another at all. It's, it, it, it withholds that because it really doesn't matter. And I, I really, really like the restraint that this movie shows. Also, just to add more fuel to that argument, we do get at the end of this minute a new shot of Dallas. It's a, it's a way that we're looking at him that we've never quite seen him before. Um, it's arguably a more heroic angle. I think the camera's a little mm -hmm. lower. Um, but mm -hmm. the fact that we get this new version after he said, here's how the new plan's going to go, uh, just suggests to me that, that, again, the visual language of the movie is up in the stakes and, and intensifying our interest in him. Yeah, indeed. Well, that's Big all time. I've got for this minute. Does anybody else have anything else? Oh, I can't wait to get all up in 74. Yeah, I have lots <laughs> to say about that one, too. 74 is going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. Well, let's get on to it. That'll do it for 73. Uh Find us at AlienMinute.com as usual, and you can also follow us at AlienMinutePod on Twitter. Come on over to Facebook, talk to us about all this crazy shit we're talking about, and see if you agree. I'd love to hear different theories about plans and intentions of characters that you listeners might have. And uh, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 74.